You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So glad to have you all with us, and uh, really thankful to be able to be here with you all. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 12. And we're just actually just going to be looking at verse 12. Today's sermon is going to be super simple. Really, really simple. It's not going to be super long. Um, I hope that you find it this morning to be an amazing reminder of what's possible in terms of joy and relationship in the Christian life. Propels you forward toward holiness. As I've reflected on... um, walking with the Lord for many years now, one of the things that comes to mind is so much of the Christian life is not complex. It's not complex at all. But at times it's extremely challenging. But it's not complex. It's, it's uh, another way to say it would be it's easy to, easy to understand, hard to execute in real life. Hard to execute in real life. So that's this text for today. Look at, look at verse 12. It'll just be on the screen for us. Matthew 7, verse 12. If you're new here, we're working our way through the book of Matthew. And we're reaching the end of chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Famously um, called that. Jesus' longest and famous recorded sermon in the Gospels. And we're reaching the end of that. And he says this to those who want to follow him, to those who acknowledge his rule and reign, um, who want to participate in what life in his kingdom looks like, this is what he says relationships are all about in his kingdom. Here's how beauty in relationship is going to be found. He says this, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so there's three parts here, right? Track with me. Not, not complicated. Three parts. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, okay? Secondly, do that to them. And this is the summary of the law and the prophets. So let's just stop and think about that first statement. What does Jesus say? He says, whatever you wish that others would do to you. Now, let's, let's stop and think about this. Let's just, like, fly over that quickly. Let's think about those words, okay? It's going to make this text come alive for us. Let's take Jesus seriously here. Let, let's ask ourselves this question. What do you wish that others would do for you? What do you wish that others would do for you? Open-ended question, right? You, that could be answered a lot of ways. That list could be long, right? Well, here are the things that, that come to mind for me. Okay, what, what do I wish that others would do for me? Okay, so um, I wish that people would be patient with me. 
I wish that people would be generous with me. I wish that people would be loving towards me. I wish that people would pay attention to me and not ignore me. I wish that people would appreciate me. I wish that people would not get angry with me. I wish that people would, if necessary, correct me with gentleness. I wish that people would not demand perfection of me. We we could go on and on, right? And here's the deal. As I made that list this week, that didn't take me long. It took about two seconds of reflection to be like, okay, how, how do I like to be treated? So Jesus is just simply asking us to slow down and think, stop and reflect this morning. He knows this is easy for us, right? It's not hard to figure out how you like to be treated, right? He knows that we all know that. And so he's saying it's easy for, it's as easy as that is for you to figure that out, to come up with your own list. He's like, great, now treat others the same way. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So for me, based on my list, I'm going to be the most patient, generous, loving, attention-giving, compliment-giving, slow to anger, correcting with gentleness, gracious person that I know. Right? That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's Jesus' point. So for me this week in preparation for this message, it was a great just thought experiment for me. And I commend it to you. Like just a simple, super simple exercise to meditate on. Take out a piece of paper and write down all the ways that you want to be treated. Think about it. Like actually do the work of thinking about it and writing it down. Look at it. Study it. Memorize it. And now remember that in all your interactions with other people. Like my hunch is that Jesus is on to something here, right? Like he's all about seeing a revolution in our relationships. Think of all of the heartache that happens in our world. In the world that you observe and the world that goes on in your sphere of relationships. Think of all the heartache that happens as a result of relationships that aren't functioning this way, right? People treating, again, it's not complicated. It's hard to execute. People treating each other constantly in a way that they don't want to be treated, right? Think of all the heartache in your life that has come through that. Maybe you've been on the giving end. Maybe you've been on the receiving end. But Jesus is saying, this is the pathway to a revolution of beauty in our relationships. And it's super simple. Super simple, right? Now that's going to make this church beautiful. That's going to make your neighborhood beautiful. That's going to make your, your marriages and your families, your roommate situation, it's going to make it beautiful. All of our relationships, as simple as Matthew seven twelve. If, if, if we're meditating on this verse, when we roll out of bed every morning, our feet hit the floor, and I just stop and I say to myself, how do I want to be treated today? All right, so that's how I'm going to treat others. Now let's stop for a second and look at this third part of the verse. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, 
do also to them. Then he says, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. Now, for some of us, that might not make any sense to us. But for the original audience, the the people that he was talking to, his followers, that were Jewish people, uh, 2,000 years ago, all that they had was the Old Testament. And the law and the prophets is just Jesus speak. It's like short form for the Old Testament. So what he's saying is, if you want to know what relationships look like in my kingdom, in God's kingdom, if you want to know, like, what, what, what all the specific laws of the Old Testament when it comes to relationships, if you boil it all down, that's what he's saying. You boil it all down, it's this. If you don't want to have to think through all th- these different ethical, con- uh, you know, challenges that we come up with, quandaries that we come up with, it might be as simple as just think about how you want to be treated. Okay, do that. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like, let me just break it down real simple for you. Just think about it like this. This is God's heart for his people in, in my kingdom. Where I, If you acknowledge my rule and reign, this is what relationships will look like. That's what he's saying. From the beginning of the Bible to him speaking it right then. He's saying, if you love me, if you acknowledge my rule and reign in your life because I died for your sins, was raised from the dead to prove it all true, conquer the penalty of sin, which is death, through resurrection from the dead. If you believe that, trust that, this is what faith will look like in real life. Like faith in action, faith in God in action, so often in the Bible looks like our horizontal relationships. For example, Jesus says, don't say that you love me vertically if you're not willing to love one another. It's like if there's a brokenness here, there's probably brokenness here. Right? And he's just saying, if your faith is in me, then that's going to look like something in real life. It's going to look like a radical other-centeredness. It's going to be the opposite of selfishness. The essence of the gospel is God himself not being selfish, but God is a giver. And so he's saying, if you get that, if you love that, if you're thankful for that, if you put your trust in that to save you from hell, then that's going to revolutionize your relationships. And it's going to look like you looking at Matthew 7, 12 and going, Jesus, I think you're onto something here. I trust what you say with ears to hear, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give it a whirl. By faith, I'm just going to give it a whirl. And he's going to say, man, I dare you to try it. And, and taste and see the beauty that this will produce in your community. So, let me, let me see if I can break this down in like the simplest terms possible when it comes to how do we actually apply this in our lives, right? So, as I was thinking about this this week, I think the, the most helpful way for me to think about how to implement this is simply this. I need to, and I would imagine you do too, I need to slow down. And think. I need to slow down and think. Because what's the opposite? It's very, very easy for me. It's impulsivity. It's the knee-jerk response. Right? So much of our lives are lived in just this knee-jerk fashion. Whatever's immediate in the moment, that's going to come out of my mouth. Or that's going to dictate my actions. Right? So, like, someone comes to me and asks 
me to like serve them in some practical way. My knee jerk might be, no, I don't want to because I'm, my, my natural impulse is to be selfish in that moment. And so I might try to weasel out of it or come up with some dumb excuse. But if I stop and I think about this request that's coming toward me, and I reflect on this, and I remember, no, I'm a Christian. Um, the Lord gets to define my existence. I don't define my own existence. So that means his, his word ha- has a say over my life. And this, this word that I'm hearing this morning, I'm going to be reminded of that. And I'm going to think, if I come to somebody else and I ask them to help me, how do I want to be treated? And I go, okay, so I'm going to do that. So if I were in this other person's shoes, how would I want to be treated? Well, I would want to be treated with service. When I ask someone to something, all right, so do that for others. That doesn't mean that you have to say yes to everybody in every situation. That's not what I'm saying. It just means that we need to slow down and reflect about what, not, not what, what's impulsive, but first, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? You see, you see how slowing down and thinking and not just acting is the key. Slowing down and asking God, what should I do here? And then having his word come to mind, that's going to help you live a life that's pleasing to God. You feel that? I think of so much of our personal responsibility in growing in holiness could be simply this very, very easy progression. Slow down, wait, think, what does God's word say? All right, I'm going to do that. So much of our sin is just impulsivity. What's the knee-jerk response? And sanctification, growth and holiness might look like slow down, wait, think, what does God's word say about the situation? All right, do that. I mean, just imagine like a thousand different scenarios that come up in our lives where you can practice that progression. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Everyone relates to this, right? We, we, we're ruled by impulsivity in that moment. Words fly out of our mouths, bang on the steering wheel or whatever. But what does God's word say about that? Okay, I'm reminded. See, there's a knee-jerk way to do things. And then there's a spirit-filled way that's mindful of God's word, slows down to meditate on God's word, and then acts prayerfully in the power of the Spirit to apply God's word in our life. And that's going to look like something beautiful. Let me just give you a few examples from my life. And you can apply it in your life on just how this can work. Slow down, think Matthew seven twelve. What's that maybe going to look like? So... We just moved into a new house a few weeks ago on the east side and uh, doing a bunch of remodeling. And so with remodeling comes the general contractor and he's got a truck and a trailer and the plumber comes and he's got a truck and sometimes another guy with him and a truck. And then we've got the electrician, he's got a truck and his helper has another car. So it's been kind of busy in our, in our neighborhood out front of my house. And so there's uh, a woman that lives across the street that has lived in this house for about 50 years, and she's more advanced in years. And uh, she was not super um, excited about commotion in the neighborhood. And whether this was justified or not, um, 
I don't think it really was that justified. She came over and made it known in no uncertain terms that she was not happy with these trucks and the commotion in the neighborhood and why are you remodeling your house? Is that really necessary? And, you know, on and on. It's like, you know, I'm pretty sure we're not doing anything illegal and it's, it's okay to, like, remodel your house if you want to. And so whatever... Justified or not, the reality is that this woman uh, felt wronged by us. And she made that very clear to me when she marched over to my house and knocked on the door and approached me with words that were not exactly kind. And um, so in the moment, there's an, there's an impulsive knee-jerk response for myself in that situation. But if I stop and slow down and pause, okay, what does God's word say about this if I'm thinking Matthew 7, 12, I'm thinking, okay, whether she's right or not, how, if I feel wronged, how do I want to be treated? Well, okay, let's just walk through that. I want to be listened to. I want to be heard. I want to um, not be yelled at. I want to um, be understood. Okay, so how would that shape this interaction that I had with my neighbor? I don't think I sinned against her, but as I reflect about, uh, on that conversation, um, I could have done a better job thinking about climbing into her shoes, right? How would I want to be treated if the roles were reversed? Just a simple example. We, we all run across examples like that in our life. Let me give you another one. You go out to eat, and it becomes clear you know, you're on a date night maybe with your spouse, and, and the service from your server just isn't that great. And clearly the server's having a bad night. And it would be tempting to just leave a bad tip, like give them what they deserve, right? But then if we slow down and we think, and we go, okay, so have I ever, ever had a bad day at work? Yes. How do I feel... Um, how would I want to be treated after a long day at work, not being at my best? Do I want people to give me what I deserve? Right? No, you, like, okay, so how do I want to be treated when I'm not at my best at work? Well, I want people to be gracious with me. I want people to understand that this job, you know, at times it feels like a grind. I want people to acknowledge, you know, maybe they understand how tired and stressed you are and sick of my job. You know, it's just kind of hard sometimes, right? That's what Jesus is asking of us here. How do you want to be treated when you're in that situation? Have you ever been in that situation? Yes. Okay, let's stop. Let's think. Let's reflect. What does God's word say about this? Oh, it says treat others the way you want to be treated. Okay, so man, I'm going to go ahead. I'm free to, to leave a, a, a gracious tip. Right? Let me give you one more. So, like, where are most of us tempted to be the most selfish? I think for most of us, it might be the people that we're in the closest proximity to. So it's going to be maybe marriage. It's going to be parenting. It might be a roommate situation. Where are you, where, like, where's ground zero for you being the most selfish? Probably the people that you live with, Right? And everybody has these, their own, like, annoying little habits that grate on one another's nerves, right? Just natural, things that just seem natural to us, but, but, but just get on people's nerves, right? And now, this is, for, for, for my household, this is a stupid one. 
but it's, it's a good example. Um, it, it, most of you relate to how small things can really get at you. So for my marriage, my wife has been suffering for 21 years because I pick my fingernails. And she hates it. And I love it. Oh, I love it. It brings me such joy. I don't know why that is, but like I, my, both my, my mom and my dad are pickers. And they, they pick at their skin and, and it's just like, I don't know what the deal is. I just find joy in that. And my wife says it makes her want to vomit. And I don't understand why that is because it brings me such joy. Like, why are we so different? And she, goes, she hangs out with my family. My mom's there picking her nails. And, you know, and she's like, ah. She won't confront my mom, but she, like, kicked me under the table. And... So she just hates it. So we're on this collision course. We've been having this discussion for 21 years. I'm like, will you stop? And I'm like, what's the big deal? It's just my fingernails. Like, it's not that big a deal. So Jesus calls me, again, to stop and think, okay, what does God's word say? Treat others the way you want to be treated. So when she has annoying little habits that grate on my nerves, how, and I ask her to not do that, how do I want to be treated? Well, I want her to stop, obviously. So, so it's kind of obvious, right, what I need to do. She was in the first service. She's like rejoicing, hearing me like publicly confess this. But it's true. It's true. Time for me to start growing out my nails, I guess, right? So, so you feel how like slowing down and thinking about God's word will revolutionize your relationships? Like that's what Jesus is going for today and every day, right? Now, this, again, like I said at the beginning, this is super, super easy to understand, hard to execute. And in, in that sense, we all can relate to how we've been failures in this, right? Like our, our knee jerk is selfishness. We've, I mean, I probably fail at this every single day. But here's the deal. Let me remind you, the gospel is good news for failures. The gospel is good news for failures. That you're not defined by your failures. You're defined by who God says you are. Did you hear that? You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by who God says you are. Who does God say you are? God says that you are a child of, of God. You have a heavenly father. You're not defined by condemnation. You're defined by being a son or daughter of the king. You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by Jesus perfectly, never failing, and him, his perfection credited to you so that that's how God sees you. Do you believe that? That's how God sees you. He doesn't see you as a failure. He sees you as perfect in Christ. How's that for a gift? How's that for a blessing? How's that for just an amazing revelation that will change your life? Right? And he says that if you come to him in trusting faith, he died for your failures. And so now he defines you. And then what happens is even more amazing. He empowers you with his Holy Spirit. So that when you see this command, you don't see this command as slavery. You see this command as joy. The, the Holy Spirit gives you new eyes to see where it's like, oh, gosh, I better get to work. No, that's not what you, you feel. You see this and you go, wow, this is the pathway to freedom. Because my Heavenly Father knows what he's talking about. And I trust him by faith. And so now I want to do it. And it's not that I have to be perfect. But it's like, no, no, I want to do this. Because my father loves me and he just wants to tell me how to live so that he can get maximum glory and I can get maximum joy. And so now I'm like, wow, this is great. 
I'm free to do this now. I'm free. I got nothing to prove. I'm not trying to climb some ladder of good deeds. No, my, the, the, my, my Savior climbed down this ladder to meet me where I am, die for my failures, and now he's going to empower me by his spirit to put this into action. And then you start getting a taste of like, wow, when this happens in my life, when this happens in my marriage and I start thinking about how to treat her, how I want to be treated, man, over time, my marriage starts to get better. My marriage starts to not be like just this, this prison of conflict, but actually this explosion of joy. How beautiful is that? That can happen in our neighborhoods. That can happen in this church. This can happen in your city group. Like this is what will make this vine church family and any other set of relationships really beautiful. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's saying, in my kingdom, that's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is about. He's saying, in my kingdom, this is what beauty looks like. It looks like this kind of selfishness, selflessness. It looks like this kind of other-centeredness. This is who we are. This is who we are. And I say we go for it. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you so much for how it empowers us. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear that, that are not um, resistance, but that view your word as a joy. And so would you help us do this? In Jesus' name, amen. hear the words of Jesus this morning. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness.